Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Got it out to a oh. kick, kick smothered, check, Hunter. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? Kicks inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a player. Shake needs to be in perfect the premiers of 1992 the 1994 I'm your host, Honey Badger 35 and I am joined this week by Miguel Sanchez. How are you? A little better than last week, maybe not a huge amount. The damage hasn't fully repaired, has it? No. Well, we're a few days removed, of course, from the Brisbane game, and similar to last week, if we had done this on the siren, it might have gone a little bit longer, a little bit more aggressively. A few thoughts on the siren that have kind of fizzled out throughout the week, but yeah, Miguel, certainly plenty to unpack there. Just on... Very quickly, the WA hub and the concept of a silver lining, do you feel there's a bit of a sort of change of fortune coming our way? There is a bit of news starting to come out. Yeah, and hopefully, I suppose we'll get onto this, but hopefully it sort of leads to a bit of a a better mindset among the playing group that they've now got an end date in sight for the hub and they can stay with their families when they get back and they'll have a bit of an extended stay at home because it looks like at least we'll have uh, three three straight games at home and possibly more. So, yeah, hopefully that improves um, uh, their mindset and some of the performances. But the issue is going to be you know, by the time we get back whether the, the season is salvageable because you know, we're one and two at the moment and we've got a couple of um, really difficult games to, to come up. So, yeah, there's my glass half-empty response for you. No, that's good. Some positivity, some negativity. I love the balance. This week on the show, of course, we will recap that Brisbane game and we'll talk in detail about the WA Hub and about crowds being allowed to come back to Optus. We're talking Jack Darling's 200th game and, of course, we will preview that must-win clash with Port Adelaide, who find themselves top of the table. Let's get stuck in with the Brisbane game. West Coast Eagles, 6-8-44, were defeated by the Brisbane Lions, 10-14-74. Miguel, before this one, we flagged it as just on the cusp of must-win, and it was obviously one that even pre-season we had penciled in as a very big clash, two of the better sides from last year. We knew we'd need an improved effort. I thought from the start we actually saw some improved effort, but then it did start to fall away a little bit, particularly in that third quarter. A little bit like 2019, perhaps, where rather than getting blown out for the entire game like we saw against the Suns, it was more of the case where the Eagles just played pretty hard, but not for long enough. And we, we had that killer quarter again that comes back to bite us. What was your take on the Brisbane game? Yeah, it was definitely an improvement over the Gold Coast game, but almost anything would have been, really. Um, we had more contributors probably across the 22 than we had against Gold Coast, but um, not a huge amount more. There was you know, still a lot of players who were down on form. We worked hard for a lot longer than the Gold probably only played 10 minutes, but um, still couldn't put four quarters together, so it was uh, uh, disappointing. We've got issues probably all over the ground, um, mostly the midfield and the forward line. Midfield, obviously, just not clicking at the moment. Um, and, you know, there were occasions where... Sheed a hand pass up to you know, someone he thinks 
is running past and there's no one there or you know, they'll, they'll hand pass forward out of a pack and it'll just you know, go to a Brisbane player. So it, it's just not clicking and we probably expected there to be some you know a, a period where we'd struggle to, to fit Kelly in and gel and uh, that's probably come about. But the issue with a shortened season is that you can't afford too much of that and you can't win four points every week um, while we're waiting for things to click. Yeah, the, the forward line as well, we could talk probably for an entire podcast about that, but there's there's issues up there. You know, are we too tall? Are we too Kennedy and Darling focused? How long has Kennedy got left, et cetera, et cetera? But yeah, we're in a um, fair, oh, I won't say dire, but in a difficult spot at the moment. We're now one and two with a, a poor percentage. Um, as I said last week, this is a you know, this is a season where we're expected to throw everything in. We've now got the uh, the prospect which was unthinkable a few weeks ago of potentially having a grand final at, at Optus. And Nat Nui has come out and said today, you know, I'd love to be in a grand final at Optus, but, you know, it's hard to get to a grand final from 15th on the ladder, which is where we are now. So, yeah, we do need to see some real improvement really quickly. And as I said off, off the start, hopefully there's a, a turnaround in the mindset of the players that they seem to improve a little bit um, over the week. But, yeah, we're really... In that third quarter, Brisbane sort of found another gear and we couldn't go with them uh, as much as the uh, the effort and the will might have been there in our players. So, yes, we've got some problems. A fair bit to unpack in that, Miguel, and a, a couple of things we quickly can just get through. For a start, you mentioned Dom Sheed. I saw a stat, very unfortunate stat, minus 71 metres gained in the Brisbane game. He had 12 disposals, 10 of which were handballs, the majority of which were backwards and some of which went 10 15 meters backwards so uh not that meters gained as such is a is a be all and end all stat especially from the bottom of a pack but minus 71 meters gained is certainly a dreadful entry into that column uh you touched on Nat Nui and before we get into the whole prospect of perhaps there could even be a grand final in WA you touched on Nat Nui I'm looking at the stats here and thinking back to the game Brad Shepard was fantastic Andrew Gaff in his 200th had the ball 30 times and not lethal with his disposal, let's be honest. We weren't at our surgical best, but still certainly found the footy and willed himself from contest to contest. Is there a hunger issue within the club that these three guys are the guys leading the way in, you know, okay, the Gold Coast game, we got shocked. We got punched in the mouth. Everyone was taken aback. But everybody knew coming into the Brisbane game that this would require all hands on deck, everyone needed to get involved. And yet the guys who come out one, two, and three in our votes are the three guys notably that missed out on the 2018 flag. So is there a hunger issue in the rest of the group or is it just a matter of things haven't clicked quite yet? Uh, that's a good pickup. I hope it's the latter, that um, things haven't clicked. But yeah, that's a, a very good um, correlation you've made there between yeah, those three guys who missed out in 2018 being our probably three best performers. No, there are others around the ground who I thought played well and, and were really putting in. We just had we had a lot of guys who were down. Um, Shuey was definitely putting in, but he was you know, getting banged up pretty regularly. Uh, Schofield, who came back into the side, I thought did a really good job on um, – he was on Hipwood most of the day and um, did a really good job on him. Absolutely. Jared Brander, who I suppose is another one who obviously had played, played in the Premiership. That was just his sixth game, but um, he seemed to be – uh, really growing in that outer wing role, I thought, on the against Brisbane. Um, so yeah, we had some some decent performers in there outside of the outside of those three. But yeah, we've got issues, I think. And I, yeah, I hope it's just a matter of we're not clicking as much. The effort seemed to be much much improved from uh, the Gold Coast game, apart from 
uh, across the board, I mean, apart from sort of that period, probably the first half of the third quarter where Brisbane kicked a few goals in a row and, and really took the game away from us at that point. Let's talk about Jared Brander and that midfield mix as it's working. Uh, I think you're right to point out it was definitely his best game. It's disappointing in a way that it was hampered by so many turnovers because there were some very brutal turnovers in there for sure. You know, drop marks and, and up and under kicks off the half-back line, things that did cost us in the end. But particularly in the first half, he was finding the footy, he was getting involved in the link-up play, uh, he was giving us an exit out of half-back, he was helping us lock it in in the half-forward line as well. So a few skill errors mixed in there as well, which I think have had people sour on his performance overall. But for me, his best game, I agree with you on that. Now, with that said, we've got Jared Brander, we've got Jack Redden, who's struggling to find the footy on that winger role. He attended just two centre bounces against Brisbane, which is clearly where he thrives the most, in, in my opinion. Uh, so for him to attend only two of the centre bounces, maybe we're not maximising Jack Redden. But then you look, OK, I already touched on Sheed, but you've got Kelly's touched the ball 17 times, Yo 16, uh, Shuey 13, Brander 14, Redden 12. So the mids not really clicking at the moment, and that's a trend that we saw in the Gold Coast game as well. It might come up in our changes. It might come up in the Port Adelaide preview. But where do you think we need to go from here? Is there a selection issue that needs to be rectified? Or is it, again, yet another example of just waiting for it to all click? Um, well, I originally had my, my first post in the changes thread had written out because he's not in a role where he can contribute. I think, um, yeah, he's, we, we've tried playing him on a wing and off a forward flank in the past. And you know, that was when he was up and down between us and East Perth and, um, yeah, just really um, struggling to find a spot in the side. I, I think his best footy is inside. I would be swapping him in there and getting Shuey outside more because, you know, Shuey, as much as he's one of our best ball winners in there, he's struggling at the moment. He's very banged up. Yeah, he needs a bit of a break. He's also a pretty skillful forward. He played that role for us, I think, in his first couple of seasons, coming off a half-forward flank and, and kicked quite a few goals, so... Yeah, I'd be swapping them around a bit and have Shuey more on the outside and coming off a forward flank and maybe try and preserve him a little bit if we're going to carry the extra midfielder. And I've said this in the past, you know, with Kelly coming in has thrown that balance out a bit and we've, we haven't really dropped a midfielder. I suppose, well, we've had Hutchings, but even just going back to the uh, the 2018 Premiership side, you know, Brander for Maston is a straight swap. Gaff for Hutchings, I suppose, is a straight swap. And then we've got Kelly in there. So we've got the extra midfielder. We're struggling to find a place to put him at the moment. It's Redden, and yeah, I'd be taking Shuey out of there a bit more. They can split the minutes around a bit, but um, yeah, give Redden more of those centre square attendances and yeah, maybe try and preserve Shuey a bit. Yeah, I think that's spot on. We actually touched on it a few weeks ago based off that round one Melbourne game, which obviously seems like it was decades ago now at this point, but Shuey did spend a lot of time in the wing in that game and, and barely has spent much time there at all in rounds two and three. But you've got Shuey that's quite useful outside. Tim Kelly is also very useful outside, although I know these guys you do still want to have at the coalface and, and ready to go in those centre bounces. But Jack Redden, perhaps a little bit more singular speed, a little bit more suited to in and under alone rather than playing on the outside. So, uh, yeah, I just wonder if they've got that mix right and whether it is a matter of finding something new in training that'll make it click or moving the personnel around a little bit or if it will be something as drastic as saying all right Jack Redden's dropped or Jared Brander's dropped you know off probably his best game and, and he's the young guy that you want to be sticking with but do they need to make a personnel change 
to make the midfield click. Because at the moment, it is simply not working. I think we'll get back into that for our Port Adelaide game. Likewise, when we're previewing the Port game, I think we're going to touch on the forward mix as well. Because for the second week in a row, for me, that's where I want to see the most of the changes at selection. Miguel, I'm not too sure where you sit on that, but we'll find out towards the end of the pod. But before we move off the Brisbane game, we touched on it last week, and I'm going to bring it up again this week. There are an odd number of good sides, or or supposedly good sides, that keep dropping games. Now, Brisbane and the Eagles, somebody had to win. So, obviously, the style that we've lost in is very disappointing. But you turn your attention to Richmond getting absolutely thumped against the Hawks. Uh, GWS, similarly, easily handled by the Bulldogs. Geelong, who last week we mentioned were the only, quote-unquote, good team to come out unscathed. Well, they've just dropped a game to Carlton. And uh, it could have been, honestly, much worse. They, they clicked into gear very late, but Carlton were running that game for the most part. Miguel, are these sides not as good as we thought? Or is it just that this strange season is throwing up some odd results for everybody? I, I can't imagine, outside of perhaps Port Adelaide and maybe to a lesser degree some Essendon fans at the moment, that there's too many fan bases that are particularly thrilled with how the season's returned and, and got back underway. I think it's more that the differences in how teams have worked over the break may, might be coming to the fore a bit. Yeah, it's uh, certainly a strange one, and it's been terrible for my tipping last week. But, yeah, Carlton, they looked to have that game really sewn up against Geelong, and um, it ended up just falling over the line. Uh, but, yeah, there's um, there's definitely been some, some weird results. Uh, the season will take a little while, I think, to sort itself out, but... Um, yeah, once we get uh, into the stage where everyone's back in the back in the week in week out mode of it, then yeah, maybe we'll see the better teams sort of climbing back up to the top and the the less experienced teams like a you know I think the Saints are doing quite well at the moment, aren't they? They might be one that are travelling all right at the moment, but you know when the the real burn of the season starts to hit, they might fall away a bit. But yeah, it's uh, it's uh, everything about this year has been weird, but the results that we're seeing week in and week out are certainly one of them. Moving along to a quick couple of news headlines from the week, and there's been some major developments as it relates to WA footy, as it relates to the West Coast Eagles, and of course, as it relates to everybody's weekend plans, because Miguel, we have just found out that we are now able, we being WA football fans, we are now able to return to Optus Stadium in droves. We've got 30,000 available uh, for the next couple of weeks. And then in the middle of July, full house, capacity, 60,000 back at Optus from the middle of July. We raised it as a possibility for later in the year. Uh, We've seen a couple, you know, 2,000 here or maybe up to 10,000 there, a couple of different fan numbers at various grounds around the country. WA is leading the way in the COVID response and evidently we're now leading the way in the fan response for the footy because we are going to see a full Optus Stadium much sooner rather than later. Yes, and we're likely to see a derby, I think, for that. It looks like for that first game, you know, as soon as they open the doors up to the full 60,000. And um, actually, as we record this, the fixtures for that week are supposed to be coming out in the next 20 minutes or so. So um, we'll get to confirm that. Uh, remains to be seen how they'll choose that 60,000. Know, will it be an Eagles home game and um, all of us who are seated members will get to go in or will it be a Dockers home game and we'll be locked out or will they, I don't know, make it 50-50 and put them all into a ballot or something? That'll be interesting to be seen because that'll, that'll make a huge difference, obviously, you know, playing in front of 60,000 of your fans versus 
virtually making it an away game with you know, 60,000 Dockers fans. Um, yeah, but it's, it's great for WA footy. It's also great for the Waffle. that um, They have announced that they're starting that same weekend. Um, so, you know, if there's no games, if you know, the AFL games aren't on or don't clash, then, yeah, you can get along to the Waffle and, and support those teams because, you know, like a lot of community um, organisations at the moment, I think all the all nine Waffle clubs are really struggling. So, yeah, I'd urge everyone to go out and support that if you can. I'd actually almost argue that the footy fixture as it's presumed to be announced, like you said, we're waiting on it, but there's a lot of talk that it's going to shape out a certain way. I actually think the footy fixture from an AFL perspective might hinder the waffle a little bit because they, if they had had a couple of weeks of clear air with 30,000, with you know 60,000 limits at Optus, obviously they're not playing at Optus, but they could fill up the waffle stadiums at least letter of the law, they could if the interest was there. I wonder if, you know, that that 60,000 derby is going to stop the city for the day. It really is. No one's going to the waffle for for that sort of day, yeah, as it relates to that derby. But still, look, in general, it is a positive step for WA footy. And you touched on it earlier. There's even rumours now starting to spread that WA grand final is potentially on the cards, or at very least, you've got people who are starting to make a strong argument as to why you should have it at a full Optus stadium rather than a presumably empty MCG. So there's plenty of development on that front, and I think it is going to aid the Eagles. Like we've also touched on, I think that certainty of knowing that they can come home and perhaps the season will look a little bit more normal from week six, seven, eight onwards, uh, I think that might settle the club down a little bit as well. But while we're talking about the capacity at Optus and games being played at Optus, we've also had the development of all but confirmation of the WA hubs, So the Eagles and Dockers are able to quarantine at home, which is a massive tick for the clubs. They'll be returning home presumably after round six and playing a round seven derby, which is what all the talk is at the moment. Uh, But with that, Miguel, we're also supposedly going to be seeing Collingwood and Geelong make the trip across. They'll quarantine for a bit, play each other during that period, and then play a little bit of a round robin against Fremantle and West Coast. So at the very least, we've got two Vic clubs coming to hub in WA. It could potentially be more. And from an Eagles perspective, we've laid ourselves out on the wire and we've gone out to the Gold Coast. It is actually nice, and to be honest, very surprising, to see it reciprocated by some of the Victorian clubs. And you know, two pretty big, well, you know, Collingwood, the biggest Victorian club as well. Surprising to see them come here. Uh, and it works out quite well with us fixture-wise as well because you know we've got much publicised terrible record at Cadinia Park and um, a pretty poor record against Collingwood apart from 2018, pretty poor record against Collingwood in Melbourne as well. So being able to play those two clubs at Optus Stadium is a huge boost. Yeah, so we'll see the fixture come out in the next 20 minutes or so. Uh, your man, Ryan Daniels. Yes, sir, my man. Yeah, your, your boy, he's reporting that, yeah, as you said, we'll see Collingwood v Geelong here uh, the weekend of the Derby and then they'll play the Eagles and the Dockers the following two weeks, um, but also that there'll be other clubs coming in to to join in a, a effectively a rolling hub. So we might see yeah, um, three or four or five games in a row uh, in Western Australia, which would be unprecedented in the Eagles' history to be able to play at home that long, and you know, they'll get a bit of a taste of what it's like for Richmond and Collingwood. Um, and, yeah, hopefully you know, if we can get back from Queensland with a reasonable record, then hopefully we can string a few wins together uh, over that period and get the season back on track. (laughs) 
Quickly, before we turn our attention to the Port Adelaide game, there is a big storyline that comes in the build-up of it, similar to last week where we saw Andrew Gaff play his 200th. This week is, of course, Jack Darling's turn. He is playing his 200th game for the club. He was originally taken at pick 26 in the 2010 draft. It was a remarkable bit of value. The fact that he lasted that long is incredible, and with hindsight, you'd expect as Pretty much every other club in in the league uh, probably kicking themselves for letting Jack Darling slip that far. Premiership player, All-Australian last year. He's led the club in goal scoring three times. And Miguel, he's really taken over as the main man of our attack in the last couple of years, specifically with that front end of 2018, really red-hot form that he found himself in. So... He's fifth in the club's goals at the moment. He's likely to go to fourth in the next couple of weeks and he could probably climb as high as second. He might even push for first if he keeps going. But Miguel, he's been a great servant of the club, a great bit of business getting a local boy with pick 26. And uh, we're seeing now in Jack Darling, a player that is really starting to make his mark on the competition. Yeah, um, as well as that, he's been a really consistent performer over over the, the 10 years he's been here as well. I mean, we talked last week about Gaff and you know, how few games he missed to get to 200 games. And Darling is just a week behind, having debuted uh, in the same game in uh, round one of 2011. So I've put some stats up on Twitter as well that Gaff's actually the quickest he got there in 217 games and Darling got there in 218 games. And um, in terms of youth as well, they're, I think, third and fifth respectively. So... Yeah, as you said, we did really well out of that draft. Um, Darling falling down to 26 was a godsend, so you know, thank God for that tent. <laughs> and uh, we, we got Lysette and McGovern. We got Lysette in the same draft and then McGovern in the rookie draft that year. So, yeah, that was a real um, real boon for us. But, yeah, Darling, you touched on his 2018 form. The first half of 2018, That was he was, for a while there, one of the best players, if not the best player in the competition. And then, unfortunately, he did his ankle. But that was sort of probably the height of, of his potential and if he can get back to that that'd be great but yeah he's he's worked really well in partnership with Kennedy for that entire decade and uh for the next little stage of his career we might have to see how he goes as you know, the genuine number one target without Kennedy as a foil but yeah that'll uh, remain to be seen but yeah, congratulations to him on his 200th and um it's, it's been a, a great journey for him you touched on the number of games of course hitting the 200th milestone in a possible 218 rounds of football for him. So for a guy his size, you know, he he, he was absolutely dominating the waffle and, and all of his juniors comps with his size as a young man. So for a bloke of his size to come in and not pick up any major injuries, touch wood going forward as well. Uh, similarly with Gaff, to, to get those two guys in, in the draft and, we obviously, we mentioned it with Gaff last week, inheriting that number three. Well, Jack Darling was given the number 27 jumper right from the start as well. A lot of big plans for him right out of the gate. So it's been remarkable to see the development of him and the consistency. He was kicking vital goals for us in finals in his rookie year, and he's been you know doing it the whole way through, even in the grand final, even with those lingering memories of a couple of uh, humorously timed drop marks, let's say that, to, to be kind. But now Jack Darling has been an absolute stalwart for the club and is going to hopefully continue on through to game 250 and possibly Miguel game 300. Do you think that that is potentially on the cards for somebody of Jack Darling's size, build, playing ability? Where do you think Jack Darling's career winds up after all of this? Uh, I think as he gets older, he'll probably stay a bit closer to home. And you know, with Kennedy retiring as well, probably 
probably the end of this year, to be honest. Um, he'll start to you know, play out of the square a bit more. He won't be coming up the ground. So uh, that'll help his long longevity. We've seen Franklin, who you know, plays pretty close to goal. He's played on into his mid-30s. So, uh, yeah, with Darling's um, durability over his first decade, there's no reason to think he couldn't you know, keep playing for another five years and yeah, push towards being uh, maybe <laughs> being a week behind, getting to the 300, a uh, week behind Gaff as he was with the 200. Well, it's the main event for the week. It is round four of the AFL season. This Saturday, 11.45am WA time. It's not a night game. There's no dew. We've got pretty clear skies in the Gold Coast. And so the Eagles face the top of the ladder, Port Adelaide Football Club, on Saturday. We need a win, Miguel. It's tough. Port, the only undefeated team in footy, and they've really found some nice form in the first couple of weeks. But, you know, eventually this club has to put their foot down and say, no, nope, that's enough of the losing. It's time to get back on the winner's list. Is this the week to get it done? Just to pull you up, technically, I think Essendon are still undefeated because they've missed a game. Um, I don't bloody care about Essendon. Let's, <laughs> come on, let's be honest. Essendon aren't troubling anybody. Um, yeah, Port. Uh, flying at the moment. Um, they've had, they've been a bit lucky with the draw, I'd say. They got Gold Coast in round one before Gold Coast apparently learned how to football over the, uh, That'll the be COVID those, break. Those easy beat Gold Coast Suns, yep. Yeah, what a yeah. free win for Port. Well done, Port. Uh, they've, they've got Adelaide, who are probably the new Gold Coast in how badly they're playing. <laughs> and uh, uh, they, they got Fremantle, who are, they're 0 3. They're they're playing much better than an 0-3 side, if I've got to be fair to Fremantle, which I hate being, but you know, they're still 0-3. So it might remain to be seen a bit if Porter flattered a bit by their uh, by their ladder position, but you can only beat the teams you put out and that come out in front of you, and you know, they've, they've beaten all three pretty convincingly. So they match up pretty well on us. We have had a reasonable run against them of late, including some, some really good wins in Adelaide. You know, they've, they've got a couple of good key defenders in um, Jonas and Cleary who've done jobs on Kennedy and Darling in the past. Um, they've got really strong midfield with some some bulls in there like uh, Wines and Powell Pepper and Rockcliffe. And you know, that's as we talked about earlier, that's a bit of an issue for us at the moment. Is winning that winning the clearances. So yeah, it'll be another real test for us. The hopefully it's not a dewy slippery game since it won't be a night game because that. That effect on our skills has really hurt us the past couple of weeks. But yeah, it should be a great game. Um, it's an opportunity for us to, uh, regardless of Port's position, it's an opportunity for us to get a win out of the hub. And um, yeah, hopefully the good news of this week has um, buoyed the playing group a bit and uh, they come out snarling. Before we get into our ins and outs, we'll quickly run through the injury list. Again, it's a small enough list from a senior player perspective, though it is unfortunately growing with a couple of little knocks throughout the Brisbane game and throughout training. Jeremy McGovern, obviously suspended for the Brisbane game. He has injured his ankle in a practice match. There was a lot of footage of him limping off. He's got the scans. He's got the moon boot on and the crutches, all of that. So McGovern listed as a test with the ankle injury. I'm not sure that we'll see him. Uh, we may do. It's, it's you know, I'm, I'm just reading the same media that everybody else is, but to me it seems like it's one of those weeks where they're trying to give him every chance, but probably deep down they know he's not going to get up. We'll see what happens on that front. 
Liam Ryan, similarly, for me, definitely our best forward on the season. He's kicked six goals in the year. He could have had way more. He's had an inaccurate season, but quite a nice game against Brisbane, despite the disappointing efforts from some of his teammates. Injured the calf, kicking a goal late in the fourth quarter. So he is listed as a test. Hopefully he can get up for the game. Beyond that, you've got Mark Hutchings coming back from the knee, currently listed at four to five weeks. Uh, Ben Johnson, two weeks with a shoulder, but he's probably not figuring into selection for a little while. And then Mitch O'Neill, who did not travel to the Gold Coast. He's still in Tasmania, nursing that back injury. Miguel, on that list, there is one name that I'm not seeing, and it's a name that's on a lot of Eagles fans' lips right now. That is Jared Cameron. He's played some match sim. He's slowly building his way up. He's not listed as a test. He's not listed as out for a week. Does that mean he's available for selection? Uh, well, apparently he played in that reserves scratch match that McGovern got injured in. Played managed minutes. Uh, he's not on the injury list because I suppose he's available for selection because he played on the weekend. But just reading between the lines of, I can't recall who did the waffle report, whether it was Gary Stocks or Craig Vozzo, but reading between the lines in that, uh, he won't be available for AFL selection this week. I think they'll continue to ramp his minutes up in the uh, in the reserves. If we get a reserve scratch match this week, I haven't seen anything about that. I think it'd be a big call to bring him in this week uh, off very limited preparation. I think he probably needs another run first. The training reports from today being Wednesday, which was the main training session, apparently Liam Ryan trained uh, and looked okay, but McGovern didn't appear. So uh, reading to that what you will for selection tomorrow, but as you said, I think McGovern probably, well, he's touch and go, but would probably miss in my view, and Ryan will probably get up. So with that said, Miguel, we might as well dive into the ins and outs. We're unlikely to see Jeremy McGovern, but potentially we're going to get Liam Ryan in. So no need for a change on that front. Uh, for yourself, does the axe fall this week? Do we swing it and gut the list? We get seven in, seven outs, or is it going to be a much more measured response like we've seen from the match committee over the last couple of years anyway. Yeah, they're not traditionally going to swing the axe and, and make seven changes. Also, I don't think there's there's really seven guys knocking on the door up there. So um, probably some measured changes, a um, little bit more measured than we've seen in the, the changes thread. And even uh, my first post in there, as I said, I had Redden being dropped. I don't think that'll happen. If Gov doesn't... Well, if, if Gov is fit, then it's probably between Schofield and Rotham. Rotham didn't do much. Apparently had five touches and one of them was effective, so that's not great. But I'm not a huge fan of you know bringing a kid in for a week and then dropping him straight away. Uh, and you know we've we've seen what's happened with, for example, Brander's development with that. So uh, it'd be Schofield making way for McGovern as as harsh as that would be on Schofield. Yeah, see, I like Schofield's game, but I it is very difficult to go with a lineup of Schofield, McGovern and Barras plus Hearn in there. It's starting to get very, very tall. Plus Hearn plus, plus Shepard who plays tall. Also, very quickly, I'm not sure if, if we gave him the props, but Brad Shepard, take a bow. He was terrific in... I think we touched on it briefly against Brisbane, but he was absolutely yeah. terrific. So all the confidence in the world in Shep at the moment. If we don't make any backline changes, I'm happy with that because they played... Well, Shep played terrifically. Rotham, yeah, as I said, not great, but no, he, he's a young player who needs to be given. If they're going to bring him in, and they, they made a pretty big call basically replacing Nelson with him, um, if they're going to do that, I think they need to give him a bit more of an extended run at it than one week. So if Gov is fit, then Schofield is the unlucky player to make way, I think. Um, Jermaine Jones is one who his name keeps coming up. Um, he was an emergency last week. Uh, he's the sort of player, I think, that 
would really add something to the side. You know, he's a small forward with a good nose for goal and also brings some really good pressure around the ball, which we kind of missed. We've kind of missed ever since going to Queensland, really. So um, I had him coming in for Petrocelli, who's been all but invisible, I think, over the, the two weeks in Queensland. Jones, not as quick as Petch, but will provide a lot more of that inside pressure we need inside forward 50. So um, I had that as a change. Uh, the other one, and this is probably going to be controversial, but the other one was, uh, was going to be Josh Kennedy having a rest this week. Call it what you like, rest slash managed slash general soreness. But uh, I'm just looking with an eye to the following week. We've got a five-day break before we play Richmond on the Thursday night. Uh, and, you know, the way Kennedy's going at the moment, I don't know if he'd be able to play both those games. Um, as I said before, Tom Jonas has done some jobs on him in the past. Can't see him having a big week this week. So it might be a good game to just put him in cotton wool for a bit, rest him up for Richmond. The other advantage that has is it brings Oscar Allen into the forward line full-time out of the ruck because we talked about how good Nat Millie was in the ruck. But when Allen went in, that fell away completely because... Oscar Allen is six foot four or six foot five or something, and he's going up against you know, these huge ruckmen. Brisbane played you know two genuine rucks. Uh, Port Adelaide aren't playing two genuine rucks, but they're pinch hitting Charlie Dixon, who's about six foot seven in the old language. And so you know, Oscar Allen, he's a great kid and he's plucky and all that, but he's just not got the size to compete with those real big ruckmen, and it's hurting us in the midfield when he goes in. So yeah, I'd. Rest up Kennedy, which has the added advantage of uh, giving us the opportunity to debut Bailey Williams uh, in that role, backing up Natalie and allowing Oscar Allen to play forward. So that's my controversial pick for the week. And as I said, it's not a change, but just structurally, I would be putting Redden in the middle a lot more and um, pulling Shuey and probably Gaff. I can't remember what Gaff's um, centre square attendance numbers were, but really he should be coming in off a wing. Yeah, absolutely. That that Redden for, let's say, Shuey change is a massive one uh, to be coming straight out of the ball up because, like you said, Brisbane dominating the territory and, and, and really uh, pushing things forward from the midfield. It, it wasn't a matter of us you know, turning the ball over inside 50 and then rebounding. It was simply a matter of them constantly and consistently winning the ball, the hard ball in the midfield and going forward. So a midfield change is needed. Uh, it is structural change more than a personnel change for me. I agree with that. I actually don't think there's too many mids banging down the door from a depth perspective, and there's not any young guns that desperately need blooding. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you on the midfield staying largely unchanged. Similarly, my post uh, after the siren was a little bit more swing the axe. I had a few people going out that I look at now and think probably... Seven in, seven outs. It was three and three, but I still, oh, okay. looking at it now, I think Brander deserves to go again. He was one of my ones on the day. So, look, I will say this from a changes perspective. I don't mind your Kennedy call at all, uh, and I think we need to get Allen playing as a full-time forward. With that, you do need to bring in a Bailey Williams for me and, and get somebody backing up Nat Nui who is a full-time ruck or, you know, 70% ruck, 30% forward, rather than Allen, who I'd say is sort of the inverse split of that. So... You've actually talked me around to Kennedy having a rest and with a short break before the Tigers match, a crucial match. Not that we can mess around with Port Adelaide either, but a crucial match following that. So Kennedy out, you've talked me into. So let's go. Bailey Williams in, Josh Kennedy out, and Allen to the forward line, Bailey Williams to the backup ruck spot. Jermaine Jones, similarly, I will take Archie out for him rather than Petrocelli. Look, maybe I've got a vendetta. Maybe I'm not fair. Who's to say? 
But Archie, for me, he found the footy a lot in the fourth. He was actually one of our best players in the fourth, which I found frustrating because there's a sort of a case of like, well, where have you been for the last seven quarters then, mate, if you can just turn it on? His pressure is non-existent. Petricelli at least occasionally lays a tackle. Archie was a little better in terms of constantly flying for mark of the year. He, he, we saw less of that last week, and he actually took a couple of crucial marks off of the half-back line as well. So by no means his worst game. It, wasn't, it definitely wasn't as bad as the Gold Coast game, but I just structurally do not see how he fits in, and maybe I'm leaning on history too much. I, I don't know. But Port Adelaide did have that five-goal game with Petricelli uh, last year where he kept getting out the back. I'm not saying they can repeat. Oh, point. I'm not saying they can repeat that as such, but you know, if you're picking between who's going to give us a spark, Petrocelli for me is more likely to give us a spark. So I'll say Bailey Williams in and Josh Kennedy rested. With that, Allen goes forward, Williams into the ruck, and Jermaine Jones in, uh, Archie coming out. We play a little bit more of a balanced side in the forward line, and finally, finally get a natural forward into the forward line. For the love of God. Forward pockets, play in the forward pocket. If you're not a forward pocket, don't put them on the, on the forward pocket. It's not that hard. Anyway, um, one name that has been floating around a little bit, Miguel, and I don't know how serious this is from the club's perspective, but certainly from a fan perspective, we've seen some rumours and some talk of perhaps seeing Exxon, Xavier O'Neill, make a debut or figure closer and closer to the selection than he ever has. Where do you see that coming? Is that a possibility where we might see them pick Xavier O'Neill, and find a spot for him in the side. Uh, yeah, it seems to be coming from his own Instagram page. It's hard to know because you don't see the reserves games. He didn't play the one the week before for some reason. He played against the Brisbane reserves uh, the weekend just gone. Um, we don't know how well he played, but difficult to find a spot for a young mid that you know, unless you are going to drop a Redden or if you know, um, if Shuey is too banged up to play or... I did see mention that Yo was carrying a back or something, so maybe you know, he's, if he's coming in as a replacement for an injured player, I could see that. But as I said off the off the top, we're carrying an extra mid, so even if we do lose a mid, I'd prefer to see you know someone like Jones come in and play forward if he's not otherwise on the side. Um, but yeah, look, new is always good. We've both had two new players in our changes there in, in Williams and Jones, so yeah, uh, getting some new blood in. Uh, is uh, is always nice. It'd be good to see Exxon make his debut, just as long as we don't go too far the other way, I guess. <laughs> you never want to do that. Not a massive goal scorer in the Waffle either. Just the uh, two goals last year in his most recent 10 matches for the Waffle. He only kicked four for the full season in 18 games. So, yeah, not the sort of guy, given what I've just said, that you'd say, all right, well, let's stick him on a flank and see if he can come up with something. It goes against the, the Rolls philosophy and the you know round peg in a round hole. I don't think O'Neill fits on as the flank, but good for him. You know, try and talk yourself into a game, talk the match committee into a game just from your Instagram presence. That's uh, that's not a bad attempt at all. Right, we've had our ins and outs. We've got to look at Port Adelaide because they are red hot. And I know you've mentioned who they've played, but my God, they've taken advantage of it. Travis Boak currently leading the coaches' votes across the entire competition. He has 28 votes from a possible 30. A terrific player himself. Port Adelaide have a lot of support acts as well that can give us trouble. And, of course, they gave us a lot of trouble last year, although historically we've held our own quite nicely against the power. So let's start with Boak. Miguel, how do we try and curb his influence, given that he's close to the best player in footy at the moment? Yeah, good question. Where's he? I haven't really seen much of Port's games. Where's he been playing? Has he been mostly in the midfield? Because I know last year he was sort of he was up forward a fair bit and just doing sort of small 
bursts in the midfield. So I, I think that re- really depends on how we play him, is where he is. But yeah, I don't know. With, with Hutchings out um, and not coming in, then uh, we haven't really been tagging. Uh, maybe I'll go back to uh, my plan for Neil last week, which was just to put Yo against him head to head and let Yo run off him. Although I'd sort of have him earmarked to do that against Ollie Wines. So I don't know. Can we play two Elliot Yo's? Can we somehow find a way to clone Elliot Yo between now and Saturday? Yeah, Travis Boak, 25 touches in round one, 24 in round two, 26 in round three. Of course, all of these shortened games. Uh, 17 clearances across three games, 20 inside 50. So he has been absolutely running the show for the power. I agree with you with the Yo matchup. Wines, I'm not so concerned about can I be honest I mean don't play this audio back when he has a day against us but Wines for me is the sort of player that'll go missing for a month and then have a month of great footy so I don't know do you, do you roll the dice and just try and go straight head to head with say Kelly and Wines and then and Yo and Boak or you know there is a midfield dynamic that needs to be fixed there but I agree with you I don't think we can go a hard tag it's more of a try and make him accountable the other way approach to try and slow down a guy that has been in red hot form for the power uh, similarly, you touched on the ruck battle and the fact that Port Adelaide don't go in with a designated backup ruckman as such, although Charlie Dixon is certainly a big boy. We will see Scott Lysette versus Nick Natanui as the headline matchup in the ruck. It's contrasting styles, and they're guys that we both know very, very well, of course, but how do you think Natanui's athleticism and newfound passion for just taking the ball himself and leading the way in the clearances, how do you think that's going to go against Scott Lysette's really physical, lean on you, wear you down and slowly chip away at you throughout the game approach. Yeah, that's going to be a really interesting battle. And I think that they obviously know each other really well. Nat Nui would have been Lysette's ruck coach effectively during 2018 when he got his premiership medal. So they'll they'll both be well aware of each other's styles. I don't think Lysette's sort of bash and crash approach will have too much effect on Nat Nui just because of um, you know, Nat Nui's uh, not playing a huge amount of game time. So that'll probably just have you know, as much of a wear-down effect on Lysette as it will on, on Nat Nui. Uh, if we do get Williams to come in as well, both Nat Nui and Williams are both really big, leaping, athletic rucks, so that'll um, hopefully take it out of Lysette a bit as well. Uh, yeah, he does have Charlie Dixon backing him up, and you know, Dixon's a big boy. He's not a natural ruckman, but he, he does have a big enough body to cause, some, cause a bit of chaos in there. So, yeah, that's the reason I didn't want Oscar Allen going in the ruck against him. But, yeah, that... The Nat Nui Lysette battle will just about be worth the price of admission alone. I think they'll be um, going at each other pretty hard, and uh, neither of them will want to take a backward step or um, or cede the points to the other. So yeah, that'll be uh, really entertaining. So try to assess a game like this where you've got a team that has, for the past fortnight, played about as badly as we ever have over a two-week period in recent memory. Then you look at Port, and they're doing absolutely everything they need to. They dominated Adelaide a few weeks ago. They're having really nice wins whenever they can and, and a massive, massive percentage for this stage in the season. You've got two teams that come in in massively different form. There's a couple of players on one side that are leading the way in the league, a couple of players on the other side that are probably having career-worst outputs. Where do you where do you think this battle is going to be won and lost? Is it a case of last week we just wanted to see effort? Is it the same case this week? We just need to see more effort? Or what can we see in round four that we really need out of the Eagles for them to pull this one out? Uh, more effort, the sort of Brisbane effort we saw probably in the first half, um, just sustained for a full game. Yeah, it's not going to be an easy one by any stretch of the imagination. And you know, Port are flying. Hopefully uh, the fact that they've now 
Um, you know, they got to the hub a week after us, so that the game they played against Frio was effectively really just a, a normal away game for them. But now having been in the hub for a week and a half, maybe they're you know, starting to flatten a little bit and we're getting more used to you know, life on the Gold Coast. Maybe that's something in our favour. Uh, the fact that the it should be a much drier game than we've played the first two weeks will hopefully be in our favour. But, yeah, Port, have they're a very tough-looking um, side all across the ground, so we are going to need to see uh, effort all the way through, all four quarters. And um, with most games, I think it'll be one in the midfield, so we really need to see uh, increased output and efficiency from that, that midfield. And we need to have someone else get uh, in the mid-20 possessions apart from Gaff, because uh, if, he's getting, if he's the only one getting more than 20 and they're all backside of halfway, then we're not getting any sort of forward momentum. And we only had, I think, 34 inside 50s against Brisbane. So the forwards are being, as much as we've, we've criticised um, Petrocelli and Archie and, and the forwards for not getting enough of the ball, they're not getting much opportunity. So we need to be uh, generating a lot more scoring chances for them. And, and that starts with the midfield. Yeah, 58 inside 50s per game for Port Adelaide. Absolutely dominating the competition in that front. The Eagles sit 12th. We have 38.3 on average. So, yeah, second place is Carlton with 46. Port Adelaide in first with 58. So that midfield battle and trying to do some of the work for our backs, you know, in, in the midfield and, and make sure they're not inundated throughout the game will be absolutely crucial. So go on, Miguel. It's time to put the neck on the line and make the call. Is this the week that the Eagles get back on the winners list or is it going to be another frustrating affair in Queensland? Uh, well, I tried picking us last week just out of blind optimism as much as anything else and that didn't work. So... Yeah, look, I'm going to tip with my head, not my heart this week, and, and tip Port. But, yeah, hopefully we uh, we at least see another increase in the effort and um, increase our percentage, even if we don't get the four points, and, and start building towards uh, something when we get back to Perth uh, in, in a couple of weeks' time. The fixtures have just come out, but I suppose we can get to that before we finish. So, look, I'm tipping Port by, I'll say, 14 points. Uh, and best of field for us, I'll go with Tim Kelly. Uh, he's not quite been the player we we were hoping when we acquired him. Uh, he's shown glimpses of it. Obviously, it takes time to settle into a new team, but yeah, picking him this week to um, to rip it up and, and have a big week for us. Last week, I tipped the Lions with my head, and this week, I am also going to tip with my head, and I am tipping the mighty West Coast Eagles. Ooh. They are going to win. They are going to win by... 34 points. This is a statement. This is the week, folks. It's going to happen. The season turn starts now. For a start, dry conditions, which, look, it is a crutch to not be a good football team in the wet and to have that as an excuse every time it's available. We need to correct that. But fingers crossed it stays dry. The forecast looks like it will be. It's obviously a a mid-afternoon game on the East Coast as well, so it shouldn't be sleek or dewy like it is at night in Queensland. If it stays dry, we are a clean football club. This we know. That doesn't just go away in a week or two weeks or six weeks or you know whatever the period since round one has been. You don't stop knowing how to football in this stretch of time. These are two skilled players. They're too good. The game plan, we've seen it stacks up at its very best. So the Eagles are going to turn it on in the dry. They've got the confidence. They know that they're coming back for a return date. They know they're coming back for a long period of time to their homes, not a hotel. The atmosphere has no excuse to not be absolutely jubilant at the moment for the Eagles. I know the ladder position is a little bit painful at the moment to look at, but that should sting them. That should drive them on a little bit. And they know that they get to come home. There's no reason. There's no more excuses. 
absolutely no reason to not come out and say, yep, hands up. Queensland hasn't been a great start for us, but this round four is when we turn it around against the top of the ladder, Port Adelaide Power, and we announce that we are back in season 2020. So the Eagles are going to win by 34 points, and Jack Darling is going to buck the trend of players in their 200th game. He is going to be our best on ground. We've seen, unfortunately, Miguel, a massive trend of our 200th gamers having to suffer through a loss on their milestone game. I think I saw... I'm going to pluck a name out here and it's probably wrong. I think Guy McKenna is the only one of our top 10 playing list who won their 200th. It, it was one in, one in 10 or some staggeringly low number. Well, guess what? It's going to be two from 11 in a second because Jack Darling is leading us to victory this week. The Eagles are back, baby. This is where it all turns around. Yeah, I'm not sure that was tipping with your head and not your heart. But hey, I do like the optimism. That's enough. Come on. Uh, and the, I think the one thing you can say about this season is that it's you know, impossible to say what's a good tip and what's not. So that's as good a one as any. Well, Miguel, before we finish up, we've hinted at it throughout the pod and the round six fixtures have indeed dropped they said they'd do round six and seven. It looks like they're only going with round six, but, you know, unlike the AFL not to stick to their word on something, and the Eagles, as expected, will play Adelaide. They're playing them at the Gabba, which is a little bit interesting. Saturday, the 11th of July, 3.35 p.m. Eastern time, so another afternoon game there, which should be a bit of a boost from a, from a dry stadium perspective. Now, Miguel, it looks like we're hosting Adelaide. It looks like this one will register as a home game, which, given the AFL would acknowledge there's a WA hub coming up on the horizon. Seems like an odd decision. We're listed first. All the teams that are listed first in their regular state seem to be the hosts. You know, you've got Collingwood versus Brisbane at the MCG. You've got St Kilda hosting Geelong at Marvel. So it seems like the team named first in this format is the host. We see West Coast v Adelaide at the Gabba on Saturday, July 11. What do we make of that? Yeah, it's a strange one. I expected we'd have to give up a home game um, another home game, seeing as we can't come home just yet. But it's a very odd fixture. Um, looks like there's four games in Queensland, none of them involving the, the Queensland sides. But, yeah, look, uh, playing Adelaide, um, if we can't get a win out of any of the other games in the hub, we should really be able to beat Adelaide the way they're travelling. So we'll at least come back two and four and maybe not quite see it completely over. Um, there I go being glass half empty again. That's the last last game for us in Queensland. Hopefully the, the players have got that circled as, as a, um, you know, get a win, get home and yeah, get back to their families and then um, start a really nice little uh, stint of games in Perth. Yep, they'll walk into the Adelaide game, they'll walk out at four and two and then come home to spend months on months on months on end in WA at home. and Leading we, into the grand final. Leading into the 60K Optus grand final 2020 November, December, New Year's Eve, I don't care when it is, but the Eagles are winning the flag this year. It's all lining up for us, and it's going to start this week. Well, that will do it from us this week. We've had good news aplenty with crowds back at Optus and a WA hub. We're going to have better news on Saturday when we beat Port Adelaide. Miguel, thank you very much for coming on and and more good news as well while we're at it. Yeah, more good news that um, we didn't really touch on in the pod, but uh, Daniel Venables reappeared at training today, I think, or or this week at least for the first time uh, since the hub. He's, He's gone up to Queensland. I don't think he's actually training. Uh, due to his concussion issues, but he's he's just helping out there and, and being around the, the squad. And, yeah, it's great to see him um, still helping out and um, 
yeah, hopefully fully on the mend from uh, you know the concussion that's now more than 12 months old and has really set him back. So, yeah, hopefully this is just the start of seeing more of Venice around the place. Just another boost. More atmosphere, more positivity, more getting around the boys. It's just another boost, guys. Here we go. This is the week, I'm telling you. God, I'm going to be so ashamed when they lose this <laughs> week. Um, the whole podcast. Yeah, I'll just I'll just go in and rip it off iTunes. We'll shut it down. That will do it from us this week uh, for Honey Badger Thirty Five, for Miguel Sanchez, for everybody on Big Footy. Thank you very much for listening. All the best to the Eagles in Round Four. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so through Twitter, through iTunes. You can jump on Big Footy and have a chat with us. And uh, Miguel, yeah, it's a big week. It's going to be a great one. Thanks for coming on the show. We hope to have you on next week to review our stellar win against Port Adelaide. Yeah, our stellar win by 34 points, wasn't it? That's the one. Jack Darling, 200 games, leading the way. All right, we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks very much for listening. We'll chat soon. Bye now. Bye.